basically. Let's go around the horn, and I'll assume if you give me a go, you've got no instrumentation problems. Booster? Go flight. Retro? Go flight. Fighter? Go flight. Control? Telcom? Go. TNC? Econ? Capcom? Go. Surgeon? Go. OMP? Go. AFC? RAO? Go. Network? Go. You got everything up? Hello, I'm Ian Christie, and this is Terranauts. Today we have a special episode of Terranauts because today we're marking the NASA Day of Remembrance. And if we've done this right, this episode will actually be appearing on that day, the 26th of January. Every year, NASA designates a Day of Remembrance to honor spacefarers who have given their lives in the service of humanity's quest to learn how to travel and live in space. They choose this date because all of the three major accidents in the NASA human space program, the Apollo 1 fire and the Challenger and Columbia space shuttle accidents, happened between the 27th of January and the 1st of February. Today, to mark the NASA Day of Remembrance, I'm joined by a couple of special guests. Tim Braithwaite is the Canadian Space Agency's liaison office manager at NASA's Johnson Space Center. He has worked in and around NASA's Mission Control Center for 25 years and continues to help operate the International Space Station on a daily basis. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, good morning. Chris Hadfield doesn't need much of an introduction. Today, he's a best-selling author of, among other books, The Apollo Murders. He is also, of course, a former astronaut and commander of the International Space Station. Welcome, Chris. Hey, glad, glad to be joining both of you and uh, honoring some people gave their lives doing something I've been working out my whole life. Good to see you both. Yeah, this is this is the third time, Chris, that you and I have done this together. It's the first time we've had Tim along. Um, so I'm going to start with Tim. Tim, what do you remember on this day of remembrance? Well, at the time, this was February 2003. Um, I was working as a robo. That's an ISS Robotics flight controller. Um, I worked then, as I do now, for the Canadian Space Agency, and was part of the joint CSA-NASA flight control team operating our Canadian robots on the, on the ISS. Um, and at the time, all of our Canadian flight controllers were resident here at JSC. Um, that was a Saturday morning and um, we weren't working this flight. This was not an ISS flight. This was in right. free flight doing, doing their research. So we were somewhat disconnected from this particular mission of Columbia um, and I remember being awakened by a phone call from a NASA colleague who had been working the flight and getting the news, trying to process it, the utterly unexpectedness of it. Um, and of course, we on the ISS side, we were really focused. We were in, in the middle of ISS assembly. We, we had j just recently completed the, adding the, the port side one number one trust to the ISS. And we were looking ahead, looking ahead to the ISS assembly missions coming up. Um, but what I think of on this day, what reminds me of this day, honestly, are the, the images. There are pictures of these crews, including the Columbia crew, in a lot of the meeting rooms where we make big decisions today. And those mission emblems are everywhere here. And that reminds us when we make decisions of what we're talking about and what it can mean. Yeah, I think my my memory is is similar to that, and, and it actually involves Chris. Uh, I was working for NEPTEC at the time of the Columbia disaster. I I, I 
I, uh, the Challenger disaster predated me by a few years. Um, but uh, we were, were part of the, the process that NASA called return to flight, getting back to flight after the Columbia disaster. And uh, there was a Canadian contribution to that. And it, it must have been in the springtime. Um, Chris had obviously come up to Brampton to talk to the folks at uh, MDA and, and us um, and kind of rally the troops around the return to flight effort. Um, so we were all in a conference room in, in Brampton, and I, I will remember forever. Uh, Chris, you, you stood up to the microphone, looked at everybody and said, four months ago, we killed seven people. Uh, and it certainly got everybody's attention, got mine. And kind of the same as Tim, it made me remember that what we were doing on return to flight was really important. And it made me think, you know, this isn't about the company or the technology. This is about we're trying to make people safer when they travel. And I need to remember that every day and every decision we make, we, we can't afford to get that wrong. And, you know, to the extent that we all take whatever small amount of credit for the successes in human spaceflight, we also have to take the same small amount of credit when there are failures or, or blame when there are failures. And, and I think that's really what's important to remember about this day. Now, Chris, you, you have much more personal memories than either Tim or I do related to the Day of Remembrance. So what, what do you think about? Yeah, I've been in um, sort of the pointy end of aerospace vehicles my whole adult life. You know, I at the time of the cha Challenger accident back in 86, I, I was a fighter pilot defending Canada in the Cold War, intercepting Soviet bombers. And uh, I remember just one of the pilots said, God, we got to listen to this. It was on the radio that NASA had had their Challenger accident um, down in Florida, and we lost lives on the space shuttle for the very first time. And, and that really shocked me because this was the new machine. This was the one that wasn't supposed to have any problems. Um, and we were we were thinking we were so safe we'd even put a school teacher on board that flight, you know. And and so it was uh, just a, a, a wicked, violent, tragic slap in the face for everybody, including me, a young fighter pilot in northern Quebec at Bagotville at the time, and really made me think about you know uh, the safety of what we were all doing and and the future of where this was all leading. And, but from that day in in uh winter of 86 i went on to went to test pilot school um and one of my classmates at test pilot school out at edwards air force base in california one of the guys that i uh flew airplanes with and and drank with and sang songs with was a, a u.s air force pilot named rick husband and we had so much fun going through test pilot school together and then both of us got selected as astronauts, him through the NASA program, myself through the Canadian Space Agency program. And so there, both of us showed up down in Houston, Texas, and uh, had a chance to fly the space shuttle a few times. And of course, um, it was Rick Husband, who was the commander of Columbia, um, which was fatally wounded the vehicle during launch and then came apart and killed Rick and his crew uh, coming back through the atmosphere, uh, coming back to Earth. And so I was immediately taken back to, to myself and a few other fighter pilots huddled around the radio, listening to the details of the Challenger accident. When I first heard, when my, as, as Tim said, when my cell phone lit up with a bunch of no, uh, notes and, and uh, turned on the TV and watched um, 
the the fact that Colombia had come apart over Texas and 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 killed the people on board. Um, but Ian, something recently happened that I think might be interesting for people to know about uh, that second accident of the space shuttle Columbia. I was recently visiting with um, Rick Husband's wife, uh, Evelyn Husband, down in Texas, and you know she's lovely. We'd been at out at Edwards together, of course, and and I, I've known Evelyn now for gosh most of my adult life, and uh, she's since remarried, and you know life is forever sad but but still good um and uh and she's doing well but she asked me something when i was over there for dinner a month ago that that was a so i think it was a surprise for her it was definitely a surprise for me as we were having dinner um evelyn said hey i realized chris that we're, we're coming up on um you know, the 20th anniversary of, of Rick and his crew dying, because uh, that was in 03, and now it's 23. And um, and I realized in one of my closets, I still have Rick's helmet bag, the bag that he kept his helmet and his gloves and his, the stuff that he would, he would take when he was going to go fly one of NASA's jets, our T-38s. And she said, they gave it to me after he was killed. And I, I, I didn't open it because it just, it didn't seem, you know, a thing I needed to do right then, but it's been sitting unopened in the closet for 20 years. And would you mind opening it with me tonight? And, you know, her husband was there and, and, um, and so we, we, you know, that, that sort of, uh, typical green helmet bag, you know, that, that all pilots have kind of the stuff that you need. Uh, it's your helmet with its mask and everything else. And, um, and so we, she pulled that out of a, a dusty closet, and and we we laid it out uh, on the guest bedroom bed, and um, and it was such an interesting contradiction of emotions, because for a pilot to, to carry a helmet bag is, is as natural as anybody to, you know, carry their lunchbox or something. It's just part of life. Um, to recognize that that this was Rick's was just sort of like. Um, a, a sobering reminder, but then to open it up, do the long zipper, reach in, pull out Rick's helmet. That the last time that helmet had been on a human head, you know, it had been on Rick's when he did his final flight of a T-38 uh, in Florida, just before he got into his space shuttle to leave Earth. And, and I was, you know, uh, I was surprised it was still in good shape and the rubber was still good 20 years later. It looked like a helmet that I could have just plunked on my head right. and, and gone flying in a jet with that afternoon or, or the next day. And then in there were also Rick's flying gloves, you know, the, the leather gloves that give you the tactility you need to fly a jet. But then we started digging in the little side pockets and, you know, you take that helmet bag with you when you do a little cross country. And so most people throw like an extra toothbrush and a, and a cheap razor in there. And so I pulled out, there's, there's Rick's, you know, uh, tiny little tube of toothpaste and razor and just his personal effects. And then his, his checklists, his kneeboard card, because in a, in a little jet cockpit, you don't have room to set things. So a little thing that straps to your, your thigh so you can have your checklist there. And then I found the, the pieces of paper that he had written the notes to himself on, like every professional pilot does before he'd gone flying on his last few flights, you know, the call sign and the and the key points of the flight and what they were going to accomplish and and the weather and you know things like that. 
And it was as if suddenly Rick was standing there beside me, you know? Um, it, it was incredibly sad, but incredibly joyful as well. It, it, it really, I don't know, um, rekindled my memories of Rick as he'd been. And, and I think Evelyn was feeling the same. You know, I, I was hesitant to look at her. I didn't want to make her cry. I didn't want to cry myself, but, but um, the, the two of us in our hands, um, having all of these tangible elements of one of the last few days of Rick's life and a thing that it almost symbolized who he was and then, you know, we did the logical thing and we carefully, we got little Ziploc bags and we sort of itemized what was in there because there are lots of museums that would love to have that helmet and, and people should see it to, to humanize who Rick was and to understand, you know, what, what lives were lost. Um, and so that Evelyn could, could, could do that as, as a step forward. But at the same time, uh, it, it was as if, um, Rick had just been brought back to life for an evening and he joined us and, and all of those memories became real again. And, and I think that is why on the 26th of January, NASA has a day of remembrance. It's, so it's not just a day, it's not just a memory, but it's a chance to actually um, palpably rekindle the real people that lost their lives. And 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 what they contributed and what they would have still been doing now uh, and and just the reality of it all and how that now needs to affect us as we conduct our lives here in 2023 because yeah, the thing that strikes me about that that um story is that rick husband put his helmet bag in his locker and went off to fly into space and he expected to come back and put the helmet on yeah, his last flights, he, he launched from Florida, of course. So uh, they in, in one of, there's this little room out by the uh, the shuttle landing facility, the SLF there, and there's just a, a row of hooks. And um, back in Houston, you have a locker with your name on it, but in Florida, you just have a row of hooks and, and that's where your helmet sits and you hang up your harness that you wear yeah, on your yeah. body as well. And so, yeah, you're right. Rick had, had landed the T-38, you know, happy that he knew the next time he was going to fly, it was yeah. going to be in space. He'd peeled that helmet off his head, you know, fresh with the sweat of his neck, stuck it in his helmet bag and hung it up there. Um, not realizing that the next time it was going to be opened was 20 years later in his home. And, and I think that's the thing to me, that's how we honor their memories is, is realizing that they didn't, they didn't go on board the shuttle expecting a problem. And, and nobody who worked that flight, like Tim said, it was a shock um, to hear that there had been a problem. But what we all have to remember is that any day could become that day. You know, that, that we, we're, we're not going to have any warning. We, we have to be ready to be, you know, we always have to be working to avoid that situation because it could always happen, right? I mean, Tim, you, <laughs> unlike Chris and I, you still do this for a living, right? You, you still go to work in the Mission Control Center and literally talk about keeping the crew safe on orbit. Um, and, you know, I think that's what's really important about remembering is rededicating ourselves to doing whatever we have to do to keep people safe. Right. And and that there is a process of continual improvement and, and the vigilance to keep yourself sharp. Um, 
I mean, long before we, when when the Canadians came down here, we, we had the opportunity to certify in the NASA Flight Control Organization. This is the organization of Gene Kranz and all of that wonderfully storied history. And long before Columbia, the, the, the tenants of NASA Flight Control have stated, what are the words? Suddenly and unexpectedly, your actions could have ultimate consequences. And there's a focus there on the real-time piece, the people who execute in, in the flight control room. But, you know, but that tough and competent mantra has been woven into mission control culture for, for, a, for a long time. And even the way we make decisions on an ongoing basis, I'm not a flight controller, I'm a, a, a mission manager type, but we, we are part of these decisions that make decisions on behalf of the crew. And those, those decisions do have consequences. And those are the rooms where where the pictures hang and those logos are present and they're present deliberately to sort of keep us reminded of what goes on. You know, after Columbia, there was an accident investigation board and there they produced frankly a remarkable report in the level of detail mm -hmm. to all the aspects of what contributed to this. Um, that report, which is again, it, it's available online but it, it's bound up, it is literal required reading for most of the physicians that I'm aware of on our programs where we send people in, into space and, and need to keep them safe. Um, and again, the flight, even the flight control rooms, the mission control rooms themselves, those logos are by the door when you leave the room every time. Um, there's, there's a process of self-scrutiny and, and, and it's a good way to live life in general, but in this profession where so much matters and so much can happen, that's, that's really important, everything. The way we design the, the, the systems in the first place, the way we prepare our missions and, and create the procedures in a way with a rigor to make sure that you know, we don't you know, leave any minus signs in there that could, could have something go terribly wrong the way we use, train. Use, use, the, use imperial units or metric units, not the other way around. Well, yeah. There's the, the number of people who re review and validate and check and exercise and simulate those procedures. It, it all feeds into that rigor. I remember actually pretty vividly preparing for Chris's flight to the ISS um, in 2012. We did a, a tabletop contingency sim which was, again, a fantastically useful exercise for, especially for the team at CSA to think through if something goes wrong, actually, what, how are we gonna respond? What do we need to have in place? So either this didn't happen or we're gonna respond better. Um, the way we execute, the way we stick very carefully to the plan and we don't miss a step that could have those, those consequences. Um, there's, there's, and, and you know what, even how we interact when we have meetings and we're making these important decisions, we all need to interact with, with a confidence, even when you're not certain. Sometimes, you know, in a meeting, it's an act of bravery to raise your hand, to, 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 to dare to object and go, are, are we sure about this point? I'm not comfortable about this. You have, you've got to be disciplined enough to do that. And, um, the, you know, this, this day of remembrance is a reminder that we need to do that. And I think it's important too, because, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, it was 18 years between Apollo 1 and Challenger. 
it was 18 years between Challenger and Columbia, and it's been 20 years since Columbia. And, you know, those of us who were there uh, and experienced the loss are always going to remember it. But people who started since don't have that immediate emotional connection to what happens when we don't get it right. And, and I think that this day of remembrance is an important thing to reconnect people to all of that. And and I, Chris, I, I you know, I've certainly had contact with other businesses, other, uh, other, uh, you know, business sectors. I do think this is something that's special about, about space. And, and, you know, I know since you've, you know, left uh, being an astronaut that you have as well, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I work with businesses all over the world and people, it's funny you hear people say, oh, our moonshot, you know, this is our moonshot. Mm. Um, the only way that we successfully put those, those 12 uh, human sets of footprints on the surface of the moon uh, was through an absolutely rigorous and disciplined application of all the things Tim was just talking about, of a, an enormous amount of professionalism, a, a great attention to detail, um, and uh, a personal responsibility, recognizing that the stakes are the highest they can possibly be. And so when people are talking about a moonshot, it's of course, it's easy to be inspired. Yes. But if you actually want to accomplish something like that, you also have to look to the past, realize that mistakes have been made. And, and there was you're no smarter than the people who were alive 10 or 20 or 50 years ago. You know, you may have different co computers to work with, but the human fallibility is still there. And right now, uh, this is a moment in history because of the improvements in technology where we are transitioning from sort of the way that I flew in space through government space agencies to uh, to private space flight and, and, and commercial space flight. And we will have accidents. It's inevitable. We have accidents with cars. We have accidents with airplanes. There's nothing sacred or, or in, invulnerable about um, spaceships. And so how do you prepare for the reality of that? How do you know that eventually we're going to have an accident, but we are not going to have an accident on this mission because we are going to pay attention. And so, so that's another reason we need this day is to help the people that haven't personally experienced it, visualize the seriousness of the business that they're in and to do their absolute best to learn from the lessons of the past to avoid making those same mistakes in the future. But, but, you know, the thing is, the, the interesting thing is we also wouldn't have gotten to the moon if everybody involved hadn't had the courage to go anyways, even though all of those things had to be true. And I think that's, that's also an important part of honoring uh, Rick and, and the people that, that died in pursuit of the dream. They wouldn't want us to stop just because it's hard and just because it's dangerous, right? When, when I went over to Evelyn Husband's place uh, just a month or two ago, um, it was in December, actually. Uh, I, I thought about the fact that the last time I'd gone over to Evelyn's house had been uh, as part of the memorials after Rick's death. And even at that time, I was thinking, what if this was me who had died and Rick was driving over to my house to try and take care, uh, you know, and help my family and help my wife, Elena? Um and, and I was the person who had died. So I could flip the roles cleanly in my head. I said, what would I, as the astronaut who had been killed in the line of duty, expect Rick to be doing? And, and what would I want the program to be doing around him? And the last thing 
that I would have wanted. I mean, it was like anathema would have been, well, we, we better quit. This is too hard or, or, okay, we lost lives here. So there's no way we can ever do this again. To me, that, that would have been just an egregious insult and, and a, a pointless waste of life. And, and it really clarified it for me that what we needed to do was not quit or give up or, or just, you know, lick our wounds, but in fact, uh, learn from it and just treat it as uh, absolutely wicked and undesirable, but but unavoidable part of the business. Try and never make it happen again. Try and learn everything you can, but but recognize that um, that in order to push the very edge of human experience, we have to be willing to take those risks. And in taking those risks, occasionally we're not going to be able to anticipate everything. And so it's good to honor yeah. the people. And so that so that with that, we can ever more safely and successfully move forward. And is that still a spirit that animates people around NASA? I mean, now especially that NASA's raising its sights beyond, beyond low Earth orbit again. Is there, is there still a very real sense that we're honoring those who've gone before by continuing to, to push outward? Oh, well, absolutely. As I said, that those, those pictures of those crews are, are present in every meeting room. And, you know, we hold ourselves to these standards. We have we call it the lessons learned process after mission is, 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 a, is a powerfully useful exercise. Sometimes it requires a thick skin, right? It's not, say, not a what? kind process, although yeah. a useful one. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but you know, if, if many, many commands are sent from the ground to the International Space Station, you know, there is, there is a process in place to, to document mistakes that are made in that process. And okay, what led to that? How can we not do that again? And every error has is a learning opportunity. But, but the real sense is you got to learn because you got to keep going. We're, we're learning from it because we're not going to stop doing this, right? Yeah, there, there, exactly as Chris said. There's no one here in the business who thinks about ah, that's it. You know, we we you know this is this is just too much. We're out. No one's thinking that. Yeah. We we we're doing something wonderfully important and when when there is a price to be paid we're going to learn make that a learning moment and make sure that we don't do that again well um i think that's probably about all the time we have but i do want to do one thing uh it has been a tradition because we've done it twice so now it's a tradition um <laughs> to, to read the names uh of the astronauts that are on the honor roll both from the united states and and from uh from the soviet union um, and so um, just to end the podcast, I'd like to, to read the names of the astronauts who've died in the service of humanity's journey to the stars. Uh, and, and Chris, I'll let you start the list. Sure. Uh, Apollo 1, Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chaffee. Soyuz 1, Vladimir Komarov. X-15, Mike Adams. Soyuz 11, Georgi Dobrovolsky, Viktor Patsayev, and Vladislav Volkov. Jim? The Space Shuttle Challenger, January 1986. Gregory Jarvis, Krista McAuliffe, Ron McNair, Allison Onizuka, Judith Resnick, Michael J. Smith, Dick Scobie. 
and the crew of the Space Shuttle Columbia in February, on February 1st, 2003, 20 years ago, almost to the week. Rick Husband, William McCool, Michael Anderson, David Brown, Kapna Chavla, Laurel Clark, and Ilan Ramo. So that's all the time we have today for Terranauts. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Chris, for joining me. And for everyone out there, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you again soon. Come on, let's keep the chatter down.